we're in part two of our series that we've been in, uh, just started, uh, called Pray Like This. And many of us probably, we grew up praying, but the reason we're doing this series is because while we grew up praying, more often than not, our prayers didn't grow up with us. We pretty much pray the same way that we've always prayed, the way that we were taught to pray as children. And some of that is good. But as we discovered last week, some of it is not so good. Speaking of last week, in part one of this series, we discovered that we're not the first group of grown-ups who, have, who never learned to pray so-called grown-up prayers. Apparently, many of Jesus' closest followers, they never learned to pr- pray grown-up prayers either. Something that they became acutely aware of when they were listening to Jesus pray. They would hear Jesus pray and they go, he doesn't pray the same way that we do. There's something different about his prayers than our prayers. And so here's kind of a synopsis of last week. Um, basically, the disciples came to the conclusion that if Jesus was praying correctly, then perhaps they were praying incorrectly. And maybe we could come to that same conclusion that if Jesus is praying correctly, then maybe we are not. If Jesus was doing it right, then they had a lot to learn, and so, so do we. And so finally, the disciples, they mustered up enough courage to ask Jesus, Hey, Lord, teach us how to pray. That was the question that started this whole conversation between Jesus and the disciples. They're listening to Jesus pray, and and one of them, I kind of think it was probably Peter, but it doesn't really matter, uh, walks up to, to Jesus and he says, Hey, Lord, there's something different. We're not doing it right. So would you teach us how to pray? Now, like most of us, they'd been praying their entire lives. They had memorized prayers. They, they would pray the Psalms and portions of Old Testament scriptures. And so they, they just kind of said the same prayer over and over and over. But they had these, these oftentimes lengthy prayers memorized. And after watching Jesus pray, excuse me, it dawned on them that maybe it was time to move on. Maybe it was time to learn some new prayers. Or maybe another way to say it is to learn how to pray like a grown-up. Now, I mentioned this last week, but I would imagine that if someone... Uh, let me rephrase it, that you probably were never, have never asked anybody to teach you how to pray. That your, your parents or what, however you grew up, they, they taught you to pray as a child, and, and that's just the way that you've been praying. And I would suggest, and, and you would probably agree with this, that if someone, after hearing you pray, came up to you and said, hey, you're not doing that right. Um, let me teach you how to pray. You would be offended by that, and, and probably rightly so. And so last time we began this lesson of learning how to pray from Jesus, some of us were probably actually offended by what Jesus had to say, because as it turns out, like his disciples, some of us have not been praying correctly. Or to be more specific, we haven't been praying the way that Jesus prayed, the way that he instructs his followers to pray. Now, I'm not going to recap everything that we talked about last week. You can pick that up on Facebook or on our church podcast or the church website. You can listen to the, to the message there. But I do want to pick up where we left off at last week. And with what Jesus said is the purpose of prayer. Remember what we said that Jesus said was the purpose of prayer? Here it is. It's in part of his prayer. It's the part where he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done right here, right now, in my life, in my relationships, with my resources, with my plans, with my schedule. Your kingdom. And for most of us, that's just too open-ended. I mean, I mean, I want God to do my bidding, right? Honestly, I'm afraid of what he might require of me if I pray that your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. But, but here's the thing. Peter, the fisherman who followed Jesus, James, the the brother of Jesus, John, Mary, Martha, the apostle Paul, perhaps some people that you've heard of before, they would assure you 
They would assure you that embracing thy will be done will introduce you to a world that you will never know and never experience otherwise. That you can't know this other's relationship with Jesus if you don't embrace thy will be done. And this is the part that we skip more often than not in our prayers. But according to, according to Jesus, this is why we pray. Now come on, let me ask you. If you're a Christian, and which I'm going to assume most of us in this room are, that's why you're here. Do you want to be deep? I mean, we, we talk about being a deep Christian. We talk about having a deep faith. Did you know that deep has very little to do with how much you know? But it has everything to do with not my will, but thy will be done. And praying that before I even know what it is, thy will be done right here, right now in my life. And God, I don't know what it is right now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose your will over mine. That, that has more to do with being deep than how many passages of Scripture you know that you can quote all of the books of the Old Testament. Who cares? If you want to be deep, if you want to expand your faith, if you want to go deeper in your faith, then just pray that. Your will, Lord. Your will, not mine. And let's, again, let's just be honest, that rarely shows up in our prayers because it stands in contrast to why most of us pray. We, we don't come to God to surrender. We, we usually come to God to be rescued. We come to be, to be rescued from God by, by something that we could have avoided if we had just, in fact, surrendered in the first place, most often. So the purpose of prayer, the, the purpose of prayer that we talked about last time is to align our will with God's will. The purpose of prayer is to surrender our will, not to impose our will. And this becomes even more evident in what follows. So, so last week I challenged you to, to begin your prayers this week by, by just saying, you know, by declaring God's greatness. God's greatness. And, and then surrender your will. Declare His greatness. Hallowed be your name. That was that part we talked about last week, right? And, and then just surrender your will. And this is important. This, this is so important, and if there's something in you that fears or hes, hesitates to pray that, your will be done, which is understandable, by the way, pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. Don't just, don't just gloss over that and move on to the next part of your prayer. Pay attention to that, because honestly, there's no point in continuing with, with Jesus' lesson on how to pray until you're willing to prioritize His will over your own. His kingdom over your own kingdom. And the reason I say that is because everything that follows with what Jesus is going to say about prayer and how to pray assumes surrender. It all assumes surrender. Jesus is doing more than simply teaching us how to pray properly in this lesson on prayer. He's actually inviting us to experience the world in a way that we will never experience it unless we surrender. And let's be honest. Surrender is not something that we're really all that fond of. It's like Bobby was talking about in his community meditation. We, we like control. Um, most of us in this room would never admit that we're control freaks. We, we would not, we say, oh yeah, we'll just go with the flow kind of people. Because that's, that's how we all want to be known. But I guarantee you, everybody in this room has something that you want to have control over. Everybody does. And we'll talk about that in, in, in a little bit. But, but everybody has something that they want to control over. And so, if, if you're not willing to surrender then there's really no point in going forward because everything that Jesus says from here on out assumes surrender. So from there, Jesus pivots, and he pivots to the place where we generally begin our prayers. He says this, he says, and now pray this. When you pray, pray, and give us today, right? Give us today, which we say, finally, Jesus, I, I thought you'd never get there. It's our turn, right? But Jesus isn't taking prayer requests here. He, he's actually requesting that we pray three things in particular. In fact, all three things, no surprise, 
assume surrender. The three things that Jesus asks us to pray, I'll summarize them by, with this, and they'll be easy to remember because they all begin with the letter P, are provision, pardon, and protection. Provision, pardon, and protection. That, that, the provision part of, of the prayer, you're familiar with. Jesus says this, and when you pray, pray, give us today our daily bread. Right. Something that most of us don't have to worry about right now, do we? In fact, most of us eat more than our daily bread. But Jesus' first century audience, when they heard this, when they heard, we're to pray, give us today our daily bread, they immediately thought of their ancestors hundreds of years before crawling out of their tents every morning in the middle of the desert and collecting just enough bread for that day. And during that season of life in the nation of Israel, God was teaching the nation, the people of Israel, to recognize their dependence on Him. And He warned them. He said, look, there's going to come a day when when you're going to have more than just your daily bread. You're going to have more than enough. In fact, you're going to have so much bread that he said to the nation of Israel, you're going to have so much bread that that other nations are going to come to you to buy bread from you. You're going to have so much that everybody else is going to to want to to purchase stuff from you. But, But remember, don't be deceived. Don't forget that you are no less dependent on me in those times than you are in this time when you're crawling out of your tent and you're depending on me for just enough bread for the day. Look, the same is true for us as it was them. That, that there might be seasons of life where we are dependent on, where we feel at least dependent on God for, for just to get us through the day. And then there are seasons of life where maybe we've done pretty well. And, and maybe we don't seem as dependent upon God. But God's reminder here is that we are just as dependent on Him in this moment as we were in that moment, that we are just as dependent on God in that moment as we will be in, that, in this moment, that there is no um, separation from dependence upon God. We, whether we are in moments of want, moments in need, whether we're in seasons of plenty, whether we've got everything going in the right direction, we are still dependent upon God every day for everything. In fact, when you think about it, many of the things, though, that we depend on most, we have little to no control over. In fact, some of us have, have faced seasons, that, and, and maybe you're in one right now, or circumstances where we're reminded of just how dependent we really are on God. And let me just add this. If you are not in that moment, or maybe you've never faced that season of life yet, I assure you it will come. Whether it's your health, your income, your food, physical or mental health, the physical or mental health of somebody that you love, suddenly you will be reminded of just how dependent you are on your Heavenly Father. Just how little control you have over the things that are most valuable and most important to you. And Jesus says when we pray, we're to pause and we're to declare our dependence on Him for everything, every day, every single thing, lest we forget. And this is such a big deal in a culture where we get in trouble because of our excess rather than our deprivation, right? We, a culture of excess, which is the culture that we live in, where we take things for granted, right? We expect things, we feel entitled to things, and so consequently we become ungrateful for things. One of Christy's favorite verses that she shared with me early on in our relationship, it's a, it's a prayer from the book of Proverbs, and when Bobby was talking about Proverbs, I thought, he read my sermon notes, he's going to go right there, but he didn't. He's a, it's a, what I, the verse I'm going to talk about is a few chapters later. But before I share it with you, I just I, I want to go ahead and I want to dare you to pray this prayer. And the reason I want to dare you to pray it is because like it did for me, it will confront you with the side of, of you that perhaps needs some confrontation. Here's what the writer of Proverbs said. He said, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty. We like that part, don't we? Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. 
In other words, Heavenly Father, don't give me more than I can handle and don't give me so little that I'm tempted to sin or to steal or to cheat. Give, you know, don't give me more than I can handle, more than you know I can handle. And listen, that's not a very American prayer, is it? I mean, God, we pray, God, make me rich. God, bless me. Just pour out your richest blessings upon me. Which, guilty. Like, hey, I want all of God's blessings. If, if God's got blessings to give to me, I want them, right? I mean, who doesn't want them? But, but, but here the writer of Proverbs is saying, you know, Lord, don't give me so much that you know I can't handle it. Don't give me so much, or, and don't give me so little that I'm going to be tempted to steal and cheat and dishonor the name of the Lord. He says, why would you pray that? And this is such an important prayer. Why would we pray that? Because he says, if I have too much, I might disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or is there even a Lord? I don't think I need God anymore. I don't think I need faith anymore. And if you give me too little, I might become poor and I might steal and I might dishonor the name of my God. I love this prayer because it slows me down and it reminds me of my dependence on God for everything that comes my way. And it reminds me of my propensity to allow God's blessings in my life to lead me astray. We don't typically think about that, do we? We typically don't think that God's blessings could lead us astray, but it absolutely has the ability to. It absolutely has the ability. Come on, you all probably know somebody who has done really well in life. You've met someone, they've become so successful that they just don't think that they need faith anymore. They've done so well on their own that they just don't think they need God anymore. They don't come to church anymore because they're just too busy. They've got too many other options. They've been so successful that that they don't need to trust God anymore because they can just kind of handle things themselves. Look, I have the potential for that. And you have the potential for that. So keep falsehoods and lies far from me. Don't allow me to be deceived into thinking that I don't need you every day for everything. And once again, we find ourselves back open-handed, that, that place of surrender. So that's provision. Provision, pardon, and protection. Provision, pardon, protection. This is the part, pardon part of the prayer. And you'll remember this. You probably memorized this part as, as, as a child. In fact, this is the part of the prayer that we probably most all of us pray the most and forgive us our debts right I would imagine if you grew up praying somebody taught you to pray to ask God to forgive you of your sin and forgive us our debts but we perhaps weren't told or weren't taught the rest of that that line the second half of that prayer it goes like this as we also have forgiven our debtors this is this is a prayer request with a catch forgive me But here's what Jesus is teaching. Heavenly Father, forgive me in the same way and in the same degree that I have forgiven the people who have wronged me. And when you look at it in that light, suddenly it takes on a whole different meaning. Father, forgive me in the same degree and in the same way in which I have forgiven other people. Well, maybe I don't want that forgiveness, right? There might be an issue there. And again, the the assumption is surrender. Just like God says, you need forgiveness from me. Well, yeah, I need forgiveness from you. So does that mean you're surrendered to me? I mean, are you asking something for me that you're unwilling to extend to to other people? And as Jesus' followers, we are required. This This isn't an option. We are required to do unto others as God, through Christ, has done unto us. We forgive because we have been forgiven. The Apostle Paul would come along later and he would reverse the order of things. He would say this. He writes to Christians in the first century and he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Why, why forgive each other? Because you don't know my story and you don't know what, what she said about me and you don't know what he did to me. 
Why, why forgive them? Paul says this, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul was saying what Jesus was saying. Paul was saying what Jesus was alluding to. We don't forgive other people, other people because they deserve to be forgiven. We forgive people because we've been forgiven. And Jesus is saying that when you pray, you forgive other people just as you have been forgiven. When you pray, you ask for forgiveness as a reminder to forgive other people, to declare your need for forgiveness But before you do. And, and ask the question, am I withholding something from someone? A- am I withholding forgiveness? Am I withholding the thing that, that I expect from God, the very thing that I expect from God to do for me? See, to ask God to forgive you while refusing to, to forgive your brother-in-law, or your ex-husband, or your ex-wife, your manager, your neighbor, to ask God to do for you what you're unwilling to do for someone else, well, really, that just reduces God to, to kind of a, a cleaning product, right? It, it reduces God to a conscience cleaner. I, I come to God, and I pray, and I ask Him to forgive my sin, and He forgives my sin, and He cancels my debt. Great, right? That, that's great. In fact, if you were raised the way that I was in, in a church like I was, then, then you were probably taught that, that he forgets all about my sin. And, and I feel much better about me because I want to feel good about me, but I'm not willing to forgive you, right? Now, contrary to what you might have been told, prayer isn't a conscience cleaner. Prayer isn't just a, a magic uh, eraser for our conscience. The, the reason that we confess our sin to God is to restore and maintain fellowship with God. With our Heavenly Father. And the reason we forgive others is to ensure, and this is important, is to ensure that, that the door is open to those who have sinned against us. In the, in the unlikely and as crazy as it might be event, that they realize that they have wronged you, that they have done something wrong, to, and they come to their senses. And they come and they ask for forgiveness. Not necessarily return to the way things were before. That might not be possible. It might not even be safe. But by forgiving ahead of time, By forgiving ahead of time, and this is what Jesus is asking us to do, by forgiving ahead of time, you release them from a debt that they may have never been able to pay you back. When you forgive, you you are doing for them what your Father in heaven has done for you. As Philip Yancey famously wrote, God announced forgiveness ahead of time. And we should do the same. To refuse to forgive while asking to be forgiven, do you know what it makes us? Well, it makes us like those folks that Jesus talked about at the beginning of this little lesson that we talked about last week. It makes us a hypocrite, a pretender, a user, a consumer. The the invitation to forgive is is part of the posture of surrender. Heavenly Father, you canceled my debt, so of course I will cancel the debt of his, or I will cancel her debt. Of course, how could I not? Because you have canceled my debt. So we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus connects our forgiveness by God to forgiving others. What do you say by all this people by, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you ask for forgiveness? No, that's not what Jesus said. He said by this all people will know that you're my followers if you love one another. If you love as I love, that means you will forgive, you will serve, you will give as, give as in uh, put others first. So to refuse to forgive is to refuse to follow. Don't miss that. If you refuse to forgive your brother or your sister or your ex-wife or your ex-husband or whoever has wronged you, to refuse to forgive them is to refuse to follow Jesus. And at the end of the day, when you look yourself in the mirror at night and you're getting ready to put your head on your pillow and you, and you, you start praying your bedtime prayers, probably the prayers that you've prayed all your life, and you, and you say, Lord, I just want to follow you. Know this, that if you have refused to forgive someone, you are not following Jesus. 
And suddenly we're not so sure that we really want to know how to pray, are we? It just requires too much. It requires that we let go of our well-rehearsed stories that justify our anger and our prejudice and our resentment. But Jesus wants to introduce us to a world that we will never know and could never experience until we forgive. Because surrendering to Jesus in this way, do you know what it does? It protects you from those who have hurt you. Don't, don't miss this. Forgiving those who have wronged you, forgiving those that have hurt you, it protects you from those very same people. It, it ensures that we don't surrender to bitterness and to resentment and to anger and to revenge. Because I'm telling you, those are not good masters. Those are not good lords. They, they don't deserve your loyalty. They, they'll extend the reach of your enemy, right? Right into your future. Right into future generations. And again, you, you, you know people. This isn't new for us. You know people who had every reason in the world to hang on to, some, to something in their heart, to embrace their resentment, to hold a grudge, to extract revenge. But for some reason, they decided to let go. You know people like that, right? You know people whose countenance doesn't reflect their past, whose countenance actually reflects the, their freedom from their past. And you know why? Because they learned to pray the way that Jesus wants us to pray. It's an invitation to follow, and it's an invitation to surrender. It's an invitation to a better way of living. And this way, following Jesus, in fact, it will make your life better, but it will also make you better at life. Because forgiving makes you a better husband. Forgiving makes you a better wife. Forgiving makes you a better father and mother. It makes you a better friend, a better employer, a better employee. And this was a really big deal to Jesus. In fact, what I'm about to read to you next, you may not have read before. You've probably heard it before, but we tend to skip over the parts that make us uncomfortable. But here's how big a deal it was. Do you know how Jesus concludes his lesson on prayer with the disciples? It's not the way that it ends at weddings. You know, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the soprano holds that note out real long forever and ever and ever. And finally we get an amen at the end. That was, a, that was added later by a scribe because the way that Jesus answers prayers is not very eloquent, honestly. It's not the way that we would like for him to end it. Which is evident in the fact that this is actually what he said and he wasn't writing song lyrics. He was teaching us how to pray. And we're going to come back to the, to the lead us not into temptation part in a minute. But at the end of this little lesson on prayer, here's what happens. To underscore how important it is for Jesus that we forgive others, here's how he ends it. And I'm just going to tell you up front, this is going to create some tension for you. And since Jesus didn't resolve this tension, I'm not going to either. But here's what he says. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So far, so good, right? But then he says, but, there's always a but, but, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. No one, no one told me that part, right? That's not, that's not what they taught us in Sunday school. But, but a quick question. Come on, you're, you're, you're smart people. What do you call someone who expects other people to do something that they're not willing to do for themselves? What do you call them? Yeah, yeah, we just, we just covered that, right? We, we call those people hypocrites, and here's Jesus' point. Don't be a hypocrite. You expect to be forgiven, so come on, you got to forgive. N not only does he know what you need before you ask, he knows what's in your heart. Jesus knows what's in our heart, and so if, if there's some hypocrisy there we're, that we're withholding forgiveness, he knows about that. But what Jesus say about our hearts? He said, blessed are the pure in heart, because according to Jesus, they're the ones that will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will recognize what God is up to. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they're going to be more attuned to what God's will is in, in the world. They're going to be more likely to participate in what God's got going on. So before we go any further, 
And before you go any further with your prayers, come on, is there anyone that you've refused to forgive? And I know, if, if I were to hear your story, I would say you've got every reason in the world not to forgive. It feels like, in fact, it almost kind of feels like you're rewarding that person that hurt you, that wronged you. You're kind of letting them off the hook. And I get it. I get it. In fact, if if I heard your story, I'd probably be tempted to give you a pass. But here's the thing. Jesus wouldn't. Jesus wouldn't because he knows, like you, he knows what a lack of forgiveness does to the human heart. And so because he loves you, because he's a perfect heavenly father, he coaxes you, he coaches you, he invites you to forgive. So again... Is there anyone that you have refused to forgive? Is there anybody that you've refused to forgive? And if so, would you be willing, maybe not now, but soon, would you be willing to decide to cancel their debt as you expect your Heavenly Father to cancel yours? Would you be willing to decide that they just don't owe you anymore? If you're not willing to do that, hear this. If you're not willing to do that, and if Jesus is correct, and I'm just always going to assume that He is, okay? That's about as far as prayer will take you. It is. That's about as far as prayer will take you. You should get stuck there every morning or every night when you pray until you forgive. Don't move on. Don't attempt to go around that. Stay right there. Stay right there until you have surrendered your anger and your hurt and your resentment until you say yes and you're able to forgive. And when you do, when you do, know this, that you, what you have seen in other people, when you do, you'll be introduced to a world, to a peace, to a freedom, You'll be introduced to a world that you will never know otherwise. That you just can't know otherwise. So back to the question we asked last week. Does prayer work? Does prayer work? Well, the way that Jesus prays works. It works on us and it works in us. It works to free us. But at times, let's just be honest, it's uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable because we, we feel accountable. We, we feel too accountable in, in some vulnerable moments, right? And, and I don't like feeling accountable to God. I, I want God to be accountable to me. You probably want God to be accountable to you. You want thy will be done. Not, not your will be done, but thy will be done. I want my kingdom built, not your kingdom built, Lord. I, I want my will. And I want, I want things to be good between me and God, whether they're good between me and you. And, and by the way, there, there's a name for that, that whole thing of I'm good you know, I'm good with God, but I don't have to be good with you. Do you know what the word for that is? It's called religion. And this is why, and this might solve a mystery for you, this is why so many overtly religious people turn out to be hypocrites. Because religion is simply an attempt, oftentimes an attempt to use God. Religion reduces faith to, to magic and a good luck charm. But in the end, religion will leave you empty and unchanged, safe but shallow, You will confuse knowledge with death. You'll confuse correct belief. You'll confuse correct belief. It'll become a substitute for loving other people. You will run the risk of missing God. And here's something that I had to learn the hard way. I had to learn the hard way that when I focus focus on the work that God is yet to complete in me, I am far less concerned with the work that he is yet to complete in you. In in other words, if I allow myself, or I I should say, when I allow myself to get stuck in my prayers of God, I'm not sure I can let this go, God. I'm not sure I can cancel their debt in this moment, God. They've wronged me. They've hurt me. I'm not sure I can get over that right now. I'm reminded that I have to focus more of my attention on on not what they have done and not where they stand with me, but instead where I stand with my Heavenly Father. And when I'm willing to focus on the work that God has yet to do in me, I find it so much easier to forgive, 
to forgive you, to forgive other people, to, to forgive others for the work that God has yet to do in them. Jesus, he was much more direct than that. Here's how he said it. He said, first, before you go any further, take the plank. You've heard this before, right? Take the plank out of your, out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly. Do you want to see clearly? Do you, do you, if, if you want to see clearly, then embrace the way that Jesus prayed. And I'm telling you, you will see clearly. I am better positioned to love you in spite of our differences and in spite of what you might have done to me. I won't judge you. I'll just serve you. I'll pray more like the tax collector than a religious leader. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the prayer. That, that's, that's the posture that Jesus commends. And this is where the, the Jesus way of praying takes us. And it leaves us surrendered and dependent and forgiven. So I want you to find a place this week. I want you to choose a time. I want you just to get by yourself. And, and I would recommend to choose the same place in the same time every day. But I, I want you to make this a priority. And, and I want you to begin your day this way, praying your way to surrender. Pray, pray your way to surrender because, you know, this then is how you should pray. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're, you're the great God who's infinite. And because you've allowed me to call you Father, you're intimate. Your kingdom come. Your agenda is the priority. You, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven right here, right now in my world. This then is how you should pray. Declare your dependence on God for your provision. Lest you forget, God, give us today my daily bread. Even though I have more bread than, than I need and more bread than I should eat, I'm not going to forget that every single morsel of food is a gift from you. Every beat of my heart is a gift from you. you. You give me neither poverty nor riches. God, just give me only what you know I can handle. Otherwise, I might have too much and I might say, say, who is God? Who, who is the Lord? Or I might become poor and I might steal and I might cheat and I might dishonor the name of the Lord. This then is how you should pray. Declare your dependence on God for your pardon for forgiveness of sin, and forgive us, and forgive us our debts, as we also, as we also forgive our debtors. Provision and pardon. And the third part of this prayer is protection. Prote protection from what? Well, from temptation. Here's what Jesus says. He says, we're to pray and to lead us not into temptation because we are more, we're more than capable of finding it on our own, Right? No, that's not what Jesus said. But temptation is a really big topic. In fact, it's so big, we're going to save it for next week, all right? So don't miss next week because temptation, it, it might, it's probably not an issue for you, but, but I, I, you know, I don't know. But maybe you'll pick up some tips for a friend uh, that you can share with them. But, but don't miss next week because we're going to talk about temptation. But before we go, before we go, and here's the big challenge. Here's what I want to invite you into this week. I want to challenge you with, would you be willing to pray Proverbs 30 verses 8 and 9 every day this week. Maybe write it out, type it out, put it on a mirror somewhere. Keep faults and lies far from me. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and, and, and I might dishonor your name and say, who is the Lord God? Or I might become poor and I might steal and cheat and dishonor the name of God. Would you be willing to pray that every single day? Again, put it somewhere where you can see it and just make it a prayer. The truth is, is that many of us, uh, probably most of us, at least by international standards for sure, most of us run the risk of losing our faith or losing an active sense of dependence on God because we have so much. We actually, we, we're set up to fall into the ditch of, of who is the Lord? Is, is there even a God? Do I need God? I, you know, I think I'm fine. Well, let me tell you, you're not. And I'm not. But it's tempting to think so. So let's pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Let's pray 
Let's pray His way. Let's pray our way to hands and hearts that are open to, to surrender. And if we do, if we do, we will be introduced to a world that we would never understand otherwise. And that we would never be able to experience without surrender. So let's pray.